The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. You can help support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is Cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tier. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 or above level for the month of March. I Rebel, Jem McKay, Dan Wagner, and Kirsten Cardinal. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Neil Reads the Back of the Cases before we start the episode, and lately it's just become something that I enjoy listening to because I pronounce every name of every character wrong, and athlete. But today we're not talking about athletes. Today Mike and Neil will be covering a bunch of anime fighting games on the GameCube. More specifically, we'll be covering mostly the Dragon Ball Z Budokai games because those games were actually great, and we have a few guests to come on the show to talk about their memories of those games as well. So without further ado, sit back and listen to me read the back of the cases of nine games. If you don't want to listen to it, I fully understand if you'd like to skip ahead. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. Let's start with Dragon Ball Z Budokai. Dragon Ball Z, the fighting experience has arrived on Nintendo GameCube. Over 60 awesome combo moves, spectacular 3D graphics, unlock new opponents in story mode, prepare your heroes. And then we have the sequel, Dragon Ball Z Budokai 2. The battle for Dragon World begins. Packed with the greatest warriors of Dragon Ball Z, Budokai 2 explodes with special skill capsules, awesome level stages, and the exciting single player mode, Dragon World. Do you have what it takes to survive and win? And then we had Dragon Ball Z Sagas, an adventure of Saiyan proportions. Join the Z Warriors in their first ever action game as you complete the epic journey from the Saiyan Saga through the Cell games. Battle their enemies, discover all new parts of the DBZ story as you obliterate fully destructible environments, enter their world, and become a hero. Transitioning now into One Piece Grand Battle. Battle to be king of the pirates. Ahoy there, me hearties! In a world of pirates, one man wants to become the greatest of them all, Monkey D. Luffy. Okay, so stretch out those rubber limbs, unsheath your sword, and gather your pirate chums. It's time to do battle. Will you become the king of pirates? No, I will not. And then we had One Piece Grand Adventure. Pirates band together for battle and adventure. Pirates, be ready to set sail for the world of One Piece, where grand battle and adventure await. One Piece Grand Adventure brings back the fun and excitement of the ultimate free-moving 3D battle with a brand new single-player adventure mode full of new customizable characters, stages, and minigames. Game features. Create your own band of pirates. There are 24 main and 51 support characters to choose from. Build the ultimate pirate for the ultimate free-moving 3D battle ever on 20 super interactive environments. Explore over 15 destinations from the world of One Piece full of new gameplay modes. Transitioning over to Zatch Bell. Battle to become the mighty Moto King. Every 1,000 years, 100 Mamotos descend upon the earth to conduct the ultimate battle for the Mamoto throne. But to unlock the power of their spellbooks, the Mamoto must find their human partners. Grab your spellbook, choose your team, and let the battles commence. Then we had Zatch Bell, Mamoto Fury. Fight to become the Mamoto King. Choose from story mode, versus mode, and arcade mode. Play a variety of minigames, including four-player battles, featuring the all-new original storyline from the game. Every 1,000 years, 100 Mamoto descend upon Earth to conduct the ultimate battle, take control of Zatch and Kyo, or any of the 19 other teams, and fight to the finish. And finally, we have Naruto Clash of the Ninja. Ready to get schooled? In the art of the ninja, that is. Control your chakra to unleash powerful jutsu techniques. As you put your skills to the test in one-on-one -on -one battles, will you be the best ninja? And last but not least, we have Naruto Clash of the Ninja 2. 
Training is over, the battle begins. Experience the world of Naruto like a real ninja by facing off in head-to-head -head battles. Master your ninja skills in the 14 game play modes, including versus mode, story mode, and training mode, taking on the toughest opponents, both allies and enemies, then get ready for non-stop ninja annihilation in 4 player battles, with your choice of 2 on 2, 1 against all, or every ninja for himself. Play all your favorite characters from the hit TV show, 23 characters total. Ah, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to my little back of the case segment here for our Dragon Ball Z and other anime fighting games. It's going to be quite a heavy episode, so we thank you so much for listening and, of course, all the continued support. But now, without further ado, I'm going to pass the microphone over to future Mike and Neil. Boys, take it away. The GameCube, GameCube. was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. I don't know what what it is, but when I when I get stressed or when I'm busy and I'm tired, my dreams are I don't get nightmares per se. Like I don't get like crazy monster nightmares or alternate reality nightmares. I just get these dreams where I'm back in high school. That, those sound like nightmares, Neil. They, they technically are. I mean, like, I'm basically back in high school, but it's still 2021, uh, even though we graduated almost 10 years ago mm -hmm. now. Like, I, it's current day, but I'm a teenager again, and, like, I'm lost. I don't know where anything is. So, basically, high school again. Yep. Uh, and it's just like, but everybody that we went to high school with is still there. So, I have to be surrounded by people that I don't want to see again. Yes. Yeah. That, again, still sounds like a nightmare. Uh, I, I, you're, not, you're not swaying me from this nightmare versus dream. This just all sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought I'd grow out of these nightmares by now, but honestly, like it's been 10 years and I still get the dream that I'm back in high school and I have homework and assignments and no money. Yeah, I don't I don't get those dreams luckily that much. I feel like I get dreams of workplaces like where I've worked. I, I get those where I wake mm -hmm. up and I have to go to that work. Uh, and that yeah. that's that's a real nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just being in an uncomfortable situation from your life is just it's traumatizing. It is. It's, it is traumatizing. It's mentally scarring. It's so mentally scarring, so mentally scarring, Mike, that we actually have a Patreon topic today. Kirsten from Patreon writes in, and she wants to know, what did you do in your teens or preteens that you're really glad happened in a time where smartphones weren't a thing? That's a really good topic, especially for like nowadays, because I know. imagine how easy access it is for for kids to just film each other constantly, mm -hmm. you know, especially with TikTok nowadays. Yeah. Um, and that lives forever on the internet, you know, right? Like that's, that's it. So, yeah. <laughs> and we did tons of stupid stuff as kids and looking back 10 years on anything is, yeah. is embarrassing no matter what you do. Right. Oh, it's cringy. It's cringy as hell cringy. to go back on. But luckily we just had, when we were in high school, it was MySpace for a brief time. Facebook, Twitter was just coming out. I think as we were leaving high school, Twitter was fairly new when we were finishing high school. Instagram really wasn't a thing at all. No, no, Instagram wasn't out yet, and TikTok surely wasn't. And people did film things. Like, we had self, like, flip phones for the most part that could film things, but a lot of that footage lived and died on those devices. Like, you had footage yeah. of somebody doing something at a, at a, in, in the lunchroom on your iPod Nano, and that lived and died on your iTunes or whatever. So, people weren't uploading stuff to the internet back then. You would just kind of show it to each other, even though YouTube was a thing. There were viral, embarrassing moments, of course, from high school, but not nearly as... I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we lived in the time that we did where it was just starting to get bad, and uh, I can't imagine being in high school now. It must be a nightmare. Yeah, I think to answer the actual question, things that I probably... I think just like 
parties, you know, like when you're a preteen or a teenager, mm. parties are so awkward and weird. And like, I would never ever want footage of me talking to someone else <laughs> because I just, you know, I'd be, <laughs> oh, yeah. I just be like looking at myself and being like, no, don't say that. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I can't actually, that's a good point. I don't remember many conversations. Like I remember events, but I don't remember what we talked about, you know? Exactly. Because like, I, you know, okay. like the an event or something Family that someone's guy? recorded is fine <laughs> and doesn't bother me. But like, if mm-hmm. it's actually me like socializing, you know, just really, really just me doing things in like normal everyday yeah. things is, is honestly so cringy. Like I can't even imagine like 12 year old Mike talking to a girl and then someone filming that would be the most oh, embarrassing thing on earth. I, I can't imagine. I actually remember one thing from high school with you and it was, I think we were in grade nine or ten and there was a dance-off do you remember this yes i that might be filmed that might be somewhere that was on film i definitely remember watching it on somebody's again a flip phone or an ipod nano somebody filmed that and you beat like the dancing guy in high school it was a really big upset actually <laughs> i don't remember what song you danced to but uh oh actually yeah, it was thriller i'm pretty sure it was thriller was it thriller? by michael jackson oh, man. Yeah. yeah that was hilarious like because we had a kid in our high school that was actually like a good Good dancer. I think you went on to be like a backup dancer for somebody fairly big. And you went up against him and you won. <laughs> yeah, hilarious. I remember that. Just this so, like scrawny white Moments kid. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You had the Justin Bieber haircut yeah. too, which was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, there was stuff like that is, is funny to have on film. There's one embarrassing moment of me getting pied in the face on YouTube, which is funny. Um, and then there's like the com- the computer tech videos that we made in high school, which were scripted and filmed and edited, which are fine. Those are fun to go back and watch actually. Yeah. Yeah, but I just think I think just general interacting, Kirsten, is what I would be mm-hmm. most embarrassed about ever like showing the light of day. The reason I say that too is because I actually did uncover some footage of some band trips that we did in in, in high school. You know, a lot of it is just people talking, like it's nothing's really going on. But they were very cringe. Friend of the show, Brennan, is actually in some of those footages. Uh, and he, oh, wow. I asked him if he wanted to see any. And he's like, no, no, no. That stuff is cursed. <laughs> and, and, so, and you know, that was like with someone who actually had a video camera. They were going around like filming all the rooms and, and stuff. And I, I can't even imagine today just having everyone having like their, their cell phone out. Everybody, just... has their, everybody has their own camera now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And just constantly... Like, because a lot of the audio was very cringe, right? <laughs> you know? Yes. So that's that's what is the most cringe for me, just the audio aspect, <laughs> just hearing yeah. myself. Oh, man. Yeah, that stuff never is never going to die. I mean, like we have now, it's fun to go back on Facebook and read like old, I think they're called notes, where it's like you kind of just list off a bunch of things, yeah. like, yep. or you talk about a specific person, you answer questions about them, or I don't know, it's kind of like a, a public diary, I guess, that you would fill out and then post on Facebook. Those still exist for us. Uh, if you go back far enough, you can find those. And, and then there's pictures here and there. But luckily, video was not quite there yet in terms of being instantly shareable. It was mainly just pictures. And- the thing is, is that like the vi- video was taken, right, in these instances. But yeah. the problem was, was putting it online was so much work. You had to put the SD card in. You had to like <sighs> find the video. A lot of times it wasn't the right format. So you had to format it differently, put it on Facebook. So it was a whole song and dance where now you literally can just be doing it as you're holding your phone and it's yes. automatically uploading like that's and it's so high quality it's high quality video yeah <laughs> where our video back then was terrible usually yeah. right so oh awful. yeah i found a lot of stuff on sd cards that the sd cards no longer exist because uh, oh, no. that, that stuff shouldn't shouldn't be <laughs> shouldn't be shown the light of day for sure i think that there's a tape of us in elementary school where we filmed us kind of broadcasting and commentating on soccer games yes. do you remember that of course yeah, that, with mr that, shackleton 
Yes, yeah, that exists somewhere. We walked around like with a massive video camera. Not totally illegal now. Like you cannot videotape children on the school <laughs> playground. That was so fun because he arranged the soccer games like every yeah. every lunch, and and we had interviews with him and everything, and uh, that was awesome. I was one of my favorite parts of elementary school for sure. That was a, t- a time and place. He was, he was a cool guy. Yeah, yeah, he let us do a lot of fun stuff. So. Well, thank you so much, Kirsten, for writing in that topic. That's a fun look back on high school. Mike, we have one more opening topic from a Patreon supporter today. Okay, let's hear it. Sure thing. Irabelle writes in and says, I'm leaning towards you guys talking about G4 and G4 returning, but I don't know if you guys have talked about that yet. So we haven't talked about that before. Uh, G4 is basically like a, a TV broadcast station, I suppose, if you want to call it that. It's kind of like a collection of uh, shows from the early to mid 2000s kind of pre YouTube era I think and it yeah. spawned yeah. off a lot of popular YouTubers and YouTube shows like Attack of the Show comes to mind and and a lot of skits around pop culture nerd culture it it is a time and place uh from from the early 2000s before kind of video games hit their mainstream stride where it was still very goofy and it's making a comeback now uh G4 is coming back they announced mid to late last year that they'd be Coming back to, I guess, YouTube and maybe some television networks, um, I don't have a huge history with G4 TV. Mike, do you know much about them? I don't have much of a history with it, but I definitely know G4. And I remember I remember when it was existing, I guess. And yeah, it, it, it was like almost like a pre-YouTube. Um, it was kind of like a more legit funny, funny junk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you want to think of it that way. It was very, it was definitely geared towards gamers for sure. Mm-hmm. I knew a lot of people in early high school and middle school who were really into it. I remember, I remember the show uh, X-Play. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, that was, that was the one that I think I remember the most because it was, it was just GameSpot TV, I think. And then it was on G4. I, see, everything is also blurry from back then. <laughs> I know. Especially like where I watch stuff. Like I don't really remember where I watch things. No, I know. Uh, like, like video game content was very hard to follow when we were in high school yes. because it was everywhere. YouTube shows weren't really quite there yet. Uh, it, like I think randomly the video game awards would be on like Spike TV or something ran or MTV. See, I always got G4 mixed with Spike TV. Mm, I can see that. I can definitely see that. Yeah. What do you think though about this coming back? Do you think it has a shot to like be? Because right now I think most people get their uh, their video game news from IGN and GameSpot. Still, uh, it seems like those two are kind of the main the main sources. And then there's just at this point hundreds of thousands of creators out there, you know, Twitch streamers, YouTube channels, like, and podcasts like our own, where, where people get their video game news or nostalgia. Uh, do you think G4 has a chance of coming back and sticking around? Because it just feels like that there's, like, video game journalism in general feels like it's a dying art form, if you will. And it's it's just becoming mm-hmm. more of a specialized thing where, where people just go to individual creators now instead of this this one media outlet to sort of get all of their news from. I'm I'm very curious of what's going to happen with it because it could do well. It, it does have a quite a large following from people who remember it fondly back in the day, um, and I'd be you know very curious of kind of what what happens with it. I like I honestly don't have a good prediction. Yeah. Uh, I think it could go either way, in terms of being you know somewhat successful or just 
kind of being just a blip on the radar uh, because it, it did launch the careers of so many people and was such a um, hotspot for talent at, at the time. It, it could well be, again, just with a, a better format and just more modern, I guess. I forgot that Olivia Munn, that's where she started, too. Yeah, um, yeah there were a Because she was on the Attack of the Show. Yeah, there were a few hosts. I forget I forget the name now, but aren't, I think some of them are coming back, too. I, I think that they definitely do need to get some younger blood in there to try and attract more of the younger audience because the older guys like us have probably moved on from content like this. It's It's hard to say how many people will go back to watching a specialized, network like the industry has changed so much since then that adam Sessler, adam sessler that was the name i think that uh one of the hosts that uh spun off his own shows and i don't think he's a very well liked person in the gaming industry so <laughs> i mean the gaming industry is just so it's so strange too and there's toxic you know, uh, it's 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 very toxic especially for for women in, in the industry so yeah i'm i'm curious what happens with g4 i think there's a lot of potential uh, I think it seems like they're kind of giving it like no strings attached. They can kind of do what they want with their programming from what I've read about G4 coming back. But um, yeah, I actually forgot about G4 until I saw uh, until we got this topic and uh, I saw the logo and it just like immediately brought back some deja vus for me. It's, it's a very 2000s logo. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to keep that or not. But anyway, I rebel. Thank you so much for writing in on that topic. And uh, listeners out there, you can write in your opening topic for our show, too, if you support us at the $5 or above level on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Mike, I think it's time for our favorite segment of the opening of the show. It's time for the mailbag. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to write into the show, you can do so on any of our social media networks like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can also write us reviews on Spotify, Apple Podcast, just like. Mike, do you have a listener writing in today? Yeah, I got Agent Gill Zero from uh, mm. Apple Podcast USA. Just a short right. one here. It says, the GameCube is cool. Love the pod. Great blend of nostalgia and gaming current events. Cool. I don't really know. I guess I guess we do talk about current events sometimes. I, I really don't notice anymore. Yeah, we just did. We, we just talked about the G4 coming back. Oh, yeah. I don't remember what I did five minutes ago. See? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, thank you very much, Agent Gill, uh, for writing in on Apple Podcasts. And I think we actually also have a review on Instagram, Neil. Jack Randall writes in from Instagram. Jack says, I came across your profile while checking out a podcast you follow. You're doing cool stuff. Keep it up. Thanks, Jack. We will. <laughs> uh, I think we won't. I think, well, okay then, we will see. Mike, we're on a bit of an anime str- uh, streak here. Last week we covered Pokemon and Digimon and everything. This week we're covering a lot more anime games. A lot more anime, a lot more anime. Uh, Neil and I don't have a lot of experience in this world other than Dragon Ball Z. Uh, so that is a little disclaimer for you. We're actually going to give you some podcasts later on who cover these topics much better than we can. <laughs> yes. Just because, that you know, we, we didn't really... I mean, we grew up with these, but we didn't really... Yeah, I mean, that, that's a fair summary. I... I okay, we, we'll get into it. That, that's, we'll get that's into definitely, it. Yeah, let's get into it right now. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 47 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on every major podcast service. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet, and we're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. Visit thegamecubeiscool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. Kamehameha! I'm so glad you said that. 
If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon.com. We are The GameCube Was Cool. Every dollar helps us grow the show, but supporters at the $5 or above level get their names read in the credits at the beginning of the show and the option to submit an opening topic. Last week, we covered a bunch of Pokemon experiences like Pokemon Channel, Pokemon Box, as well as two Digimon games on the GameCube console. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, we're continuing the anime run, as I said earlier, with Dragon Ball Z and a bunch of other fighting games, mainly from Naruto, uh, Zach Bell, sorry, Zatch Bell, and One Piece. But uh, the main focus is probably going to be on Dragon Ball Z because that was one of the biggest animes of this generation. Absolutely. So let's, yeah, let's let's talk about Dragon Ball for a second. Let's just get in, sweet, get into it, and let's talk about the history a little bit about with Dragon Ball. So obviously, there's Dragon Ball, there's Dragon Ball Z, there's Dragon Ball Super, Dragon Ball GT. There's a lot that came after, obviously. But um, for Neil and I, Dragon Ball Z, I guess that was our our big thing. Dragon Ball was before, and that was uh, that's Kid Goku, right? Right. Yeah, and I, I I watched Dragon Ball, but it wasn't on a lot of stations, I don't think. Uh, Dragon Ball Z was on most of the channels that we watched, and I think it was on like around 8 or 9, because I remember there was like Dragon Ball Z, uh, Inuasha, and Naruto, I think were yes. like the three. Yeah, yeah, that, that's like the, the three pat, the, the hat trick of the weeknights <laughs> on anime. No, yeah. you're totally right. And it was evenings too, like weeknight evenings. I remember almost every single night after dinner time, I'd watch Dragon Ball and then play some game or watch uh, watch Family Guy or whatever it was. And mm-hmm. no, you're right. The Dragon Ball was a little bit difficult, a little bit more difficult for our generation to access because it was in the 80s that that aired mainly. Dragon Ball was popular from... It was uh, 1989 to 1996, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, It ran 291 episodes, which is pretty big. But again, this is a time when anime was still a little bit of an underground thing. It was a bit more of a a cult thing to watch. In the West, for sure, yeah. Especially, yeah. It wasn't like on every channel. We didn't have Crunchyroll or whatever. It wasn't on, obviously, Netflix. And even finding VHS tapes for anime would have been almost nearly impossible. I don't remember seeing any anime tapes at like Blockbuster. I'm sure they were there, but it was maybe a small section. Uh, but there was Dragon Ball Z, which uh, was the sequel to Dragon Ball. And it was, at least for our generation, far more successful. I feel like almost every every boy and and mainly guys uh, were watching it every weeknight. It was uh, it was like the show to watch. You'd talk about it on the schoolyard, you know, Frieza, Cell, Vegeta, and Goku. All those characters were like household names for us, almost as popular as like Pokemon like you almost you watch Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z and uh it was one of the first like real anime shows I think I watched as a kid like Pokemon was very uh very western uh very much a western anime it felt like mm-hmm. even though it obviously a Japanese company it felt like it was it was a made for North Americans in a way but uh no I was really into Dragon Ball Z and if I had to guess I probably watched it for maybe two or three years while it was on and I guess it was in syndication because it was only really a 90s show and probably got into it when I was eight so maybe 2001 so it was already in syndication at that point but uh didn't really get into the video games as much actually which is strange yeah, no, I, um, I did play these video games, but um, but yeah, I, I can understand kind of why they weren't readily available. They were actually kind of hard to find because they did not sell well on the GameCube, but we will get into that a little bit later. Just a little bit of history with Dragon Ball in general, created by Akira Toriyama. Uh, who is very famous in obviously the Dragon Ball world? Uh, he created the Dragon Ball uh, series based off of Bruce Lee movies. Actually, wow. specifically Enter the Dragon. Um, <laughs> he loved that kind of style, that uh, kind of kung fu exploitation movies. And the plot is is from an old Chinese book, uh, Journey to the West. That's kind of where he takes the plot from. 
and really it was just deliberately meant as an Asian-only manga uh, and eventually anime because he wanted to create it with almost no Western tropes at all. He wanted to ke keep it very Asia-centric. Um, and you definitely feel that, you know, with kind of like the feudal Japanese, the Chinese background yes. um, that kind of goes on as well as there's really never any references to anything Western whatsoever. No. Which, again, is very, very odd for this time. Ironic because it ends up being the most successful um, anime in the West. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of a lot of parts were actually specifically taken from Asian politics going on at the time, uh, such as... Um, when uh, Frieza forcibly is taking over planets to resell them. Uh, and that was kind of a comment on Japanese investors and their real estate bubble and them oh. doing the same thing in the late 80s. Interesting. I did never, I never put those two things together. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I thought I was like, oh, that, that's, that's funny. That's wild. Uh, other just fun things too. So the Super Saiyan mode, which came quite a bit later, when they were drawing uh, Goku's hair, it was a lot of ink and it took a long time to do. And so he went to, they, they wanted to kind of have something where he would go blonde um, oh. so that they wouldn't have to ink his hair constantly all the time. So that was <laughs> wow. one of the reasons. No way. That's yeah. so cool. <laughs> Jeez, that's amazing. And now they go, there's so many different Super Saiyan modes now. Like it's, it's almost like, like you dropped out of Dragon Ball Z and you go back to it later. And now there's like three different or four different tiers of <laughs> Super Saiyan. It's like when you go back to Yu-Gi-Oh! now and you find out how many different ways there are to polymerization everybody. It's like, yeah. it's hilarious. <laughs> that's nuts. But yeah, I think uh, it's a good time to talk about these games then. What do you think, Neil? Okay, sounds good. Let, let's uh, let's invite Harrison on to talk about some Dragon Ball Z games. Now, the the Dragon Ball Z video game series have are huge worldwide. I mean, like they're in every single fighting community. Uh, the whole series uh, from start to finish, it's a $6 billion industry as of 2019. Uh, it dates back to 1986 up until pretty much this year, 2020, 2021. New mm -hmm. games coming out all the time. They're on every or they're on 11 major uh, video game consoles. Uh, so no small feat and no small series. So let's talk to Harrison now and uh, talk about some Dragon Ball. Yeah, let's let's do it. So first guest of the day is going to be our good friend Harrison, who is making his eighth appearance on the show. Wow, nuts. Very impressive. Mm. And we, of course, have to ask you the question of who is your favorite Dragon Ball character? Oh, I'm on here for Dragon Ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you thought you were on here for Shrek. No, I thought I was on here for Monster Ranchers for the PS2 podcast. Oh, That's... we fooled you. We fooled you there. You're actually on for the, oh. the Card Captors podcast, actually. That's why you're here today. <laughs> oh no, I feel like a fool. Mm. Um my favorite DBZ character, uh, that's a tough one, but I'm going to have to say Piccolo. Nice. Mm. That's a good mm. answer. That's a good answer. That is a good answer. He's wise, he's stoic. You know, he has the voice of reason for many of the characters and one time he did blow up the moon. So that's, that was a cool yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of blowing up moons. That is true. And he straight up like gets his arm chopped off in one of the fights. I remember that, right? Like isn't doesn't he have one arm at one point? Is that against Cell yeah. or Frieza? Something happens. Yeah, he gets his arm chopped off and then yeah, he just regenerates yeah. it. I one thing we haven't even talked about yet is uh the fact that all the characters basically are are from food or vegetables. You know, that's a big <laughs> Uh, trait amongst Dragon Ball characters. I, I believe Goku is is something about eating rice or rice eating. Goku and Gohan. Okay. They're about rice. Piccolo, obviously, pickles. Vegeta, vegetables. Raditz, radish. Uh, <laughs> Maybe that was the underlying message the whole time. Like, they created this this manga and this show just for kids to eat their, their vegetables and healthy foods. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Krill, Krillin, I guess, is like Krill. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, true, true. Yeah, there you go. Interesting. <laughs> What's Majambu? 
Uh, I think, I mean, Majin Buu, I think, is just because he's a genie, so. Because <laughs> I think it's supposed to be just, like, magic. He looks like bubblegum, but I don't, I don't know. <laughs> he does look like bubblegum. What's the character that looks like Patrick Starr? What's his name? <laughs> what? I don't know. All right, you guys start talking. I'll, I'll look it up. <laughs> Perfect. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, but, but Harrison, uh, what's before we talk about the games, what's your experience with Dragon Ball, just the franchise in general? Yeah, growing up, it was definitely one of those bigger animes that was more kind of like on the Pokemon, Digimon kind of side of things. Definitely one of those gateway drug animes, Absolutely. for sure. And of course, as a kid, you you love violence, and violence is not allowed in the household. So, of course, that makes you want to watch it even more. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd watch it with my friends, my family, my family being my little brother. He's a huge fan, of course, but... Uh, it was definitely one of the the main shows that I would like to watch after after school for sure. Did it make you want to get ripped? <laughs> yeah, you got everyone. Uh, yeah, made all, all kids get ripped because of uh, DBZ. And I'm assuming you you primarily watched DBZ rather than than the original Dragon Ball. Yeah, watch DBZ. There was actually a program on YTV for all the Canadian listeners out there. I don't know what you call them. Pod- they're not podcasters, but People. either way, people. <laughs> Just, yeah, that's that's fine. Yeah, who, who am I to label things? Anyways, I think it was called Bionics, and they had the original Dragon Ball on there as well, too. Um, and I used to, to dabble in that as well. There's some times where I will go online and see what's happening with, with Dragon Ball in, in more recent years, but... I, I checked out the DBZ Reddit, like, just to find the Reddit group, how big it is. There's, like, over 400,000 people in it, and just compared to some of the other groups that I've checked out while doing this podcast, like the Pikmin group or, or something, like, <laughs> the Dragon Ball Z group is massive compared to those guys. <laughs> Scooby-Doo group's got, like, 9,000, you know? How much online bullying does Krillin get? <laughs> I think Krillin is just a meme at this point, right? Like, Dragon Ball... That, a lot of people just like Dragon Ball nowadays for the memes. Like that's it's it's so easy to make jokes about it. And like you see dudes in the gym wearing like you know I'm just training to beat you know Goku or at least Krillin you know stuff like that. It's so much of a meme that we even got a Ford commercial. When was that, Harrison? Two three years ago. That was the for the Ford. Oh my Fusion. god, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that was uh, that was one of those strangest commercials I've ever seen. Neil, have you seen that? I don't think so. It's look it up. Anyone else listening? It's uh, it's for the for the Ford Fusion, and it's a Dragon Ball Z kind of crossover, I guess. Uh, f- and they used, I, I, I guess they they used you know clips of of the um of the show like audio clips and kind of made it look like they were endorsing the car. It's very strange, very very strange. Yeah, it almost feels like to to go back to our last episode. Feels like an Angela Anaconda Digimon mm. <laughs> kind of mashup. <laughs> it, it, it it's got to be one of the strangest things I've ever seen. Okay, so it's the Ford Fusion. So I believe it was Trunks and Gotan, and they do the fusion dance, and they fuse into the Ford Fusion. Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Genius. I, I'm really surprised that like someone was actually cool with that, because I just imagine someone like myself in, in a marketing department having this idea, uh, and mm-hmm. then I would tell it to someone, and it would almost certainly be immediately shot down. So yeah, it, good for Ford for not shooting it down immediately. <laughs> hey, they uh, they appealed to the uh, the the Dragon Ball Z audience. I don't know if they sold more cars because they put Dragon Ball Z in an ad. Maybe it almost reminds me of also like when Mercedes Benz got into Mario Kart. It's so weird when car companies find their way into pop culture media, like cartoons. Yeah, like and- Nissan Rogue with uh, Rogue One, and that yeah. actually apparently sold huge. That was a huge marketing campaign and did really well for them because uh, Nissan has a or had a very bad reputation in terms of customer service and just 
buying a car from them. So the rogue uh, aspect of it uh, for Star Wars kind of appealed more to, to younger audiences and clearly worked. So yeah, it is, you're like, right now, it's super strange when, when that yeah. happens. Yeah, can't, can't get down with it. But uh, let's talk about some video games now that don't have car commercials in them. What do you guys think? <laughs> well, um, let's do it. I hope, th- I hope at least right. one of them does. I hope so too. <laughs> yeah, let, let, let's find out, shall we? Let Let's start off with uh, the Dragon Ball Z Budokai games, which the first one was released on October twenty eighth, two thousand three. It was developed by Dimps, published by Infogrames, Bandai, and later by Atari for the greatest hits title on PlayStation two in North America. It's also on PlayStation two. If you wanted to pick it up today, it's around twenty bucks, and it rates about a seven out of ten. And then there was the sequel, of course, Dragon Ball Z Budokai 2, which was released on December 15th, 2004, also developed by Dimps, published by Atari for the PlayStation 2, and the Nintendo GameCube version came out, uh, was published by Bandai, and it's also on PS2, uh, priced around $35, and rates about a 7 out of 10. Uh, The Budokai games are a pretty big deal, a lot of nostalgia around those games, and uh, that's why Harrison's here to talk to us, because Mike and I don't have much experience with them. Ah, I do, it's you. Oh, do you? You're the one. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm the one. Oh, I thought you, I didn't know you played them. Okay, (laughs) my bad. I'll just stop talking then. (laughs) But yeah, Harrison, what what, what are your first memories around these two games? We're going to talk about them together, because they are very similar. Yeah, I was about to say, both games are, are pretty similar for the most part. Yeah, basically they were just, you know, a cool fighting game where you're just playing through the story of, of Dragon Ball. You know, I was always into those type of games as a kid, as I've mentioned on, on this podcast before. Any type of like fighting, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat kind of style, style of game. I think the really cool thing, or if I remember correctly, was the, the what-if scenarios mm-hmm. in the first one. It gives a storyline where, where Goku dies uh, before the Cell games. And then he visits Earth to teach Krillin the Spirit Bomb so Krillin can defeat Cell. Yeah. Uh, yeah so that that was a cool aspect of uh, uh of them i really like that the story in these games are actually especially one it's actually really well done for a fighting game because at this time fighting games you know the story was just like nothing usually mm-hmm. the, the, it was it was just a versus that's why you're buying it you're just buying it to play with your with your buddy and you played for like an hour straight of just mashing buttons and then you were done but uh Budokai was one of the first fighting games um at the time that had a really encompassing uh, well-encompassed story that did uh the anime justice honestly i i kind of uh, appreciate it more than the anime itself sometimes because it kind of cuts out all the clutter uh, <laughs> Mike where... just say that's the charging scenes it gets rid of all the charging scenes <laughs> yeah, yeah it, I mean there, there's there's a there's a story arc before Cell where Goku is charging up for like six minutes against uh, his brother what's his name six uh, episodes uh, six episodes sorry <laughs> against uh, Raditz and it's just like come on let's get with it yeah and if you go back to these games now like 20 year almost 20 years old at this point looking at gameplay like it holds up pretty well because like we talk about all the time about cell shading which is the way to go it really did capture the the anime's art style on the gamecube or the ps2 really is where this franchise uh, was well, most popular well i should but... say that uh, and we should mention that the gamecube edition is actually a poor and a bit of a different game than the ps2 version uh, because the GameCube game came out about a year and a half after the PS2 game, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and it has cell shading where the PS2 version does not have the cell shading. Okay. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a graphical difference. And I, I think the GameCube one definitely holds up better because of the cell shading. So when you say cell shading, are you referring to the shading styles of the character cell? 
<laughs> of course. <laughs> I was waiting for someone to make that joke. <laughs> I'm glad it was me. Yeah, what's is cell like celery? I just realized that. Oh, oh my god. god. Oh god. Oh jeez. That makes that makes so much sense because I, I don't like celery. So. <laughs> I don't like celery and I don't like cell. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's um it, the release of it because I just want to keep talking about that. <laughs> the release of it is kind of weird because it came out quite a bit later than the PS2 one. Uh, which seems like a death sentence, you know, that you would put it out so much later. I, I get that it, you know, came out in 2003, so the GameCube uh, probably couldn't put it out in November 2001, or I think early 2002 when it originally came out for the PlayStation. But I, it seems so weird that they took that long to put out Budokai, and then they took another year after Budokai 2 came out to, to release mm -hmm. it, because Budokai 2 released in... In, uh, for the PS2 in November of 2003, uh, a month after Budokai 1 released them for the GameCube. Right. So at that point, I think when the GameCube version came out, the fans of the franchise were already ready to move on. Yeah, because you, you, you if you were a fan of the franchise, why would they pick up this you know, port of a Budokai game a year later and then Budokai 2 a year after that? Right. And the PS2 version of Budokai 1 sold over 2 million copies, uh, earning $69 million in the US. Uh, so like at that point, you got to imagine anybody that wanted to play this game already had their fill at that point or owned it. So trying to double dip again, it's almost like this franchise and Dragon Ball games in general were kind of doomed from the start on the GameCube, which... Which is too bad, because, I mean, the GameCube has its fair share of good fighting games and wrestling games, which we've already talked about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and Dimps, I just want to talk a little bit about Dimps, the developers of this game, um, just because we haven't heard from them, I don't think, since we started this podcast. Uh, they're, they're a developer based out of Tokyo, and they, uh, they have a history of making games like Sonic the Hedgehog, Dragon Ball, and Street Fighter. Uh, they were fairly new as well when this, uh, when this franchise came out. They were founded in, in 2000. And uh, just looking at their games developed, like it's all anime games. Um, it's a lot of Dragon Ball games going up to Xenoverse 2, uh, Bleach as well, Street Fighter. I'm just going through the, the list of games mm -hmm. now. So you know, Sonic Rush Adventure. Um, so they have a pretty good catalog of like double A, like high double A games. Um, nice. And I, I feel like I never hear about Dimps Software. Nope, uh, but I've they're, never they're heard of them before this. <laughs> no, uh, but they're they're mainly owned by uh, Bandai Namco and Sony Entertainment own the majority stake in the company. So I think that's why we don't get a ton of great games on Nintendo hardware um, in terms of Dragon Ball because I'm sure Sony wants to have the better experience. I was waiting for my brother to appear because you mentioned Sonic, Street Fighter, and Dragon Ball, which are like all his <laughs> three favorite things. It's like he's like Beetlejuice. Yeah. Basically, yeah. <laughs> what do you guys think about the uh, the voice acting in these games? Because they take the Ameri the North American, the Funimation dubs uh, from the show, which I guess if you're not a fan of the Like, as a kid, I really didn't notice it being annoying, but it's kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's, uh, it's kind of like Simpsons Hidden Run in a way, um, mm -hmm. which we talked about, or like Simpsons Road Rage, where you kind of like hear the same things over and over again. And it, like, it, it's kind of funny now, but like... Mm -hmm. I guess at the time as a kid, it's like, oh, it's, it's kind of like whatever. I guess it's like part of the show. But I guess if I were to go back and play it now, I might find it a tad bit annoying. Maybe one of those games I play with the sound off and <laughs> something else. The music, though, is actually really good. It, it, it makes me feel like very like pumped up when I'm playing. So I, I do enjoy the music a lot in both these games. Mm -hmm. And Harrison, um, of course, I have another question for you. Do you have a main or any? Do you have a couple of mains, I guess, when you when you boot up Budokai? 
Well, the thing is, no one... I always pick Piccolo because he's my favorite. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, no one kind of like... I don't have to fight people for it. (laughs) Yeah, everyone wants to be Goku or or one of the eight Gokus that you can be. (laughs) Exactly. It's like... It's like in Mario Kart, everyone's like, oh, I want to pick, like, Yoshi or, or Toad. And I'm like, mm, well, I'm going to pick Luigi because everyone's just going to fight for those two. And right. I don't want confrontation <laughs> in real life. In real life. You in the game. You don't want confrontation while you play a fighting game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now for the combat and the controls. So just for people who haven't played this game, it's quite similar to a normal fighting, a normal kind of 3D plane fighting game. You have the basic punch button, the kick button, the guard button, and the energy button. Um, the energy button was a little kind of different because you uh, need to build up energy in order to actually use it. You can also press the energy button uh, just by itself, which kind of shoots a little ball of energy. And you can chain together punches and kicks uh, with that energy to pull off a character's signature moves. You got to charge, Mike. That's the whole point whole point of the show you got to charge i'm really i'm really glad that they put charging as a as a pivotal uh method in, in terms of fighting people in this game uh, for for me personally i don't know i don't know about you harrison but th- what made this game better than any other fighting game i was playing at the time was the aerial attacks and the aerial just fighting uh aspects of it yeah i agree that was definitely like a big thing because it's you know it's one thing to fight on the ground but when you can fight on the ground and in the air as well too it, it changes the game changes the game legit it's a whole new playing field <laughs> it's one of the funnest parts about the show too is to watch the characters flying around and actually the kame kameaha whatever the goku kame, uh kameaha. the blast that, that's one of the things that i used to do when i played smash bros as a kid because i didn't have the dragon ball z game since there were none on the n64 so playing as samus that was kind of like my goku <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny how that kind of translated over into metroid even though they probably did not intend on that to happen Ooh, later in the episode, are we going to talk about how Goku should be in Smash? We can talk about that right now. Yeah. (laughs) Good segue. So, I mean, Goku actually was thought to be, or there was a lot of rumors that Goku was going to be in Smash, especially for Brawl. Uh, I know that there's been a lot of conflicting reports that Nintendo was going to do it, and they weren't. And then I know that there is quite a bit of a animosity in terms of the relationship between PlayStation and Nintendo when it comes to Dragon Ball. Uh, and we'll see that a bit later when we talk about the sales. But he eventually showed his face in Project M, which was a fan-made game. Uh, and they they created Goku out of... Uh, do you know whose skin that was? It, was? it was a skin from Brawl, but they created someone... Or they used someone to create Goku. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Yoshi. <laughs> Neil's, Neil's two loves <laughs> My, together. <that's>, <laughs> <laughs> Dragon Ball Z and Yoshi. I think it was Snake. That That makes more sense. If I'm being serious, I think, I think it was Snake, but... <laughs> yeah. And they did kind of bring him in, like, the new Smash Bros. game. They gave Ryu a little bit of a Goku look as well. Like, yes. there's... I think it's Ryu. There's a Ken. Oh, yeah. I mean, both of them have, but yeah, Ken yeah. has the actual, like, kind of the, 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 the skin that kind of looks yeah. like Goku. And I don't think Goku will ever be in a Smash game uh, because of the licensing and also just because you already have characters... F- uh, from Street Fighter, which are you know obviously not the same, but similar in, in aspects. I'm not sure what else you could do with the Goku. I don't think you can make the excuse anymore that characters are too similar when Nintendo continue to put out anime swordsmen into Smash Bros. <laughs> uh, if they put in a Goku character, I think that would be just as big as when Cloud was announced for Smash. And we haven't had like a a world-breaking announcement maybe since then. I mean, Banjo-Kazooie was a pretty big deal, but every time they announce... A Steve from, from, from Minecraft was pretty nuts that he got in. <laughs> that's true, that's true. But yeah, when, when they keep announcing more and more Xenoblade and Fire Emblem characters into these games, it, it's I don't think you can say, well, we already have a character like Goku. It's like, yeah, but you already have a character like Marth, but you keep putting those in. So mm-hmm. yeah. anyway, that, that that's my uh, 
Thank you for listening to my talk. <laughs> oh, there was a new there was a new character in Smash. Now it's gonna bother me, but he looks like Goku. Rob the robot. Uh, Incineroar. Bowser. Mario. Here, am I allowed to phone a friend? Do I get do I get <laughs> lifelines on the show? Yeah, of course you can have a lifeline. I'm I'm Regis. I'm gonna message friend of the show Hunter Tim. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's Hero from Dragon Quest. Oh, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. There is one where he has the orange uh, outfit. You're right. He does look very much like Goku. And then he mentioned to me that Hero from Dragon Quest is, um, well, Akira Tori- Toriyama did all the characters designs for Dragon Quest games as well as doing Dragon Ball. Oh. So that's why they shows. look similar. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I can see that. And he also did Chrono Trigger. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Th- thank you, Hunter. I owe you one. Very nice. Very nice indeed. So uh, in the games, uh, there are 23 fighters, uh, everyone from the beginning of the series up until the end of the Cell arc. So unfortunately, no Majin Buu for both of you guys. Uh, I know mm. how much uh, you're disappointed at that. Um, and Love Buu. Uh, one of the things you can do is you can also actually buy things in the game to kind of upgrade your characters throughout the story. And you buy it from Mr. Popo's shop. Do either of you remember Mr. Popo? Yes, Mr. Popo. Let me see. I'm I'm gonna know his face as soon as I see it. Hang on, Popo. D-B-C. Let's just say let's just say Mr. Popo is is not a oh, good yeah. luck for 2020. Okay, Mr. Popo looks like uh, Jinx's brother. Mr. Popo looks like Justin Trudeau's brown face. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, you cannot do this. You cannot pull off this Halloween costume in 2021. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's it's um it's it's not a good luck. And so people compare it to Jinx, obviously, and how yep. uh, and Mr. Popo, I believe, in the newer series is actually blue, and his mm-hmm. lips are toned down. Uh, but yeah, if yeah, you, they're yellow. Yeah, so it's uh, for for those of you list for for the the visually impaired, uh, Mr. Popo is a big black character with a turban, big red lips, and the genie's outfit from Aladdin. <laughs> yeah, his original appearance was was very similar to kind of blackface, uh, you know, associated with stage and film caricatures of mm-hmm. African Americans. So yeah, not a good look. And uh, I'm glad Mr. Popo would make plays a very small part in this game. <laughs> no, that is one of the one of the changes to the Dragon Ball Z universe uh, from the early the, the 90s uh, run of uh, of episodes. There was also um, from the Dragon Ball Z mo- uh, show and games. There was the music plagiarism controversy. Did you guys hear about that too from the Budokai games? No, I, I don't no. know about that. Harrison, do you know? No, enlighten me. Sure. So there's a uh, Kenji Yamamoto is responsible for many of the video game anime soundtracks from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, as well as the shows. And he produced a lot of the music for Dragon Ball Z. Uh, most of the music appears in Dragon Ball Z Budokai uh, 1 and 2. Later on, uh, Toy Productions, which is the animation studio responsible for producing a lot of Dragon Ball Z cartoons, uh, publicly acknowledged that uh, Yamamoto's musical work um, was actually largely infringing upon uh, third-party copyrights. Specifically, he copied a lot of tunes off of bands that we would know, like uh, Pink Floyd, Black Sabbath, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Journey. That's why I like the music so much. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So um, a lot of the episodes, when they get uh, re-released, the music has been changed um, from what it used to be. Uh, as well as the Budokai games, uh, which features his music. If you check out the Budokai HD collections, which were released on PS3 and Xbox 360 back in 2012, um, they uh, it only contained music from uh, Budokai 1 and 3, um, which I think didn't have his work, I guess, or they, they changed it around a little bit. 
though that that HD collection doesn't include Budokai 2. I don't know if that was the reason. I know 1 and 3 I think are considered the popular ones. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, his uh, his music um, did span across a lot of different anime franchises from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, and had to be removed and written over. So damn, damn, yeah. very interesting. However, could you imagine like Goku and Vegeta fighting to Boogie Wonderland by Earth One and Five? <laughs> oh man! <laughs> oh, that would be so good. I would love that. See, I think we. <laughs> I, I think he was better at hiding the uh, the fact that he was co- copying them than that. I don't think it was literally copying and pasting. Uh, but how good would that it? be? But yeah, exactly. Now, should we transition a little bit into Budokai Two talk? Uh, I don't know if you guys have much, many different things to say about Budokai Two versus Budokai One. I mean, I was kind of talking about Budokai One and Two at the yeah, same time. Yeah, I, I figured. I mean, Budokai Two featured more playable characters. There's 31 in Budokai Two compared to 23 in Budokai. Sorry, Budokai Two contained 31 characters. Uh, Budokai One with 23. Um, other than that, not not a heck of a lot of differences from an outsider like myself who doesn't play the games. Um, again, I think Budokai three was or Budokai two was not as well received amongst fans as the first one, and actually the third one I think was also a little bit better. I don't remember, but I remember there was one where you could do like fusions with characters, and like people would just be like to play God and just create mutant characters. If you ever bored one day, just go online and look some of them up, and you'll find like someone like mashed goku and hercule together and it, it just looks disgusting it's it, it's a mess <laughs> can you can you merge everybody or can you fuse everybody with mr popo that's my question <laughs> i don't know <laughs> probably no so a big thing with budokai 2 as well is is it did not sell well especially for the gamecube uh sold terribly actually so badly that uh, it's one of the biggest reasons why Budokai 3 is not on the GameCube because it really should have been. Budokai 3 was released in 2004 and uh, in all aspects was a game that the GameCube could have clearly handled. But uh, I think there was a lot of behind the scenes fighting with um, uh, with Bandai, PlayStation and Nintendo all in that ring. And uh, from the answers that I've found online, it says that it's because two to terrible in, uh, terrible in sales. And I think Atari Bandai had just given up on the GameCube by that point. A lot of publishers did. Shame, really, the GameCube was such a better system than the PlayStation 2, said Scarlet Spider 0725 on Reddit. So uh, thank you for saying the GameCube was cool. <laughs> was Budokai 3 really released in 2004? Yep. So they did the same thing again to the GameCube, where they put out Budokai 2 in the end of 2004, the same year that Budokai 3 was already out. Yep. Wow. <laughs> and, so they did it with about both right. games. Jeez. Yeah, and I, I honestly, uh, I, I would fault the publisher for this one, but I, I think it's a Nintendo thing, honestly. I think this is a Maybe. weird Nintendo move because this is this seems to be something that they would do. So no, no let's just wait a year. <laughs> what? <laughs> let's make, because they're technically ports. I think that's what happened. So yeah, it's... Yeah, so Budokai 2 came out after Budokai 3 did. <laughs> <laughs> on, so Budokai, Budokai 2 on GameCube came out a month after Budokai 3 was released on PlayStation 2. Why did it do so badly in sales? <laughs> That's wild. Mm. That I don't like that at all. No, but. no. Yeah, very, very upsetting. And yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. But for now, um, Harrison, is there anything else you'd like to say before we let you go? Yeah, where's the petition to get Goku in the new Smash? 
Um, I think it's all with the petition that says Shrek needs to be in the new Smash. I was so. gonna, and Shaggy. And Shaggy. It's, it's at the same lunch table as Shrek and Shaggy waiting to get into Smash. Same uh, both Shaggies, wait. like the artist Shaggy and Shaggy that's, the character. That's what I yeah. want to know. Like, Absolutely. like your your final Smash is Mr. Bombastic. Like that just sounds <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> oh man, hopefully someday we can get our cartoon characters in Smash. But until then, Harrison, thank you so much for stopping by today. We, we love hearing from you and uh, congratulations on making it to your eighth episode on the show oh thank you i was i was think, actually thinking of starting my own podcast but i'm like eh, i'm on here so many times <laughs> that i don't i don't need to make my own so. <laughs> well your check's in the mail my friend <laughs> awesome thanks i'll spend it i'll spend it wisely oh good very good see you later Harrison. Right. take care guys take care bye what a nice whoa what a nice young man <laughs> what a nice young man thank you harrison for coming on once again you always provide some great insight thanks to you a friend of the show hunter as well uh, his brother mm-hmm. for uh <laughs> coming in hot with that that hero dbz comparison and the fact that they were both done by uh, uh toriyama which is actually really cool i did not know that i should have noticed that before just looking at the box art of the uh of all those games the dragon quest games dragon ball z and chrono trigger they all look very similar it, it's just you don't want to sound like someone who says everything looks the same but it all looks the same i'm yeah. sorry <laughs> it, it does uh but i mean that makes sense it's pretty crazy that they couldn't have found another artist to do anything different <laughs> but huh. anyway g- good to have harrison on again as i said before but uh, mike before we move on to more of these fighting games i think we have another guest who's going to share their memories about uh, the budokai games yes we have our friend the show jason who has been on before he was famously on for sunshine in nightfire as well as the rugrats uh episode well, a game for the nickelodeon episode and jason we have to start this show by asking you who is your favorite dragon ball z character uh, well, th- thank you for having me again, and I-, I think this is going to be heavily influenced by the DBZ Abridged series, but uh, I would have to say that um, Vegeta is probably my favorite character. If you've seen the Abridged series, you would know why. He is by far the funniest person on that on that show. <laughs> but also, I-, I really identify with his uh, jealousy and nihilism <laughs> in, the- in the original series. Uh, I'd say Goku, but he's too dumb. I'd say Future Trunks, but he gets really annoying in the Super series. <laughs> Uh, I I would say Vegeta. Am I the only one that thought Frieza was a woman? No, that's that's. I feel like I I've probably thought that at some point too. Up until Frieza became up until the third stage of Frieza, <laughs> I honestly thought it was just an old woman because it sounded like it sounded like an old woman, like Hazel McCallie, an old woman, you know, like just raspy voice, like wrinkly, and then you know turned into just like a jack dude. And I was like, oh okay, I guess it's a guy. But I still couldn't get around the fact that the voice sounded like a, like a smoker's cough woman. Yeah, I thought he was just very flamboyant, which also made no sense to me because of, you know, he's some, like, super flamboyant, uh, always, always referring to things like sexually alien. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, mm. turns, that turns into a xenomorph in his third yeah, form yeah. or whatever. That, that's actually one of my favorite characters in the Dragon Ball Z universe is Krillin's interpretation of what he thinks Frieza's third form is going to be. It's a fraction of a second, very obscure reference, but like Krillin basically imagines what Frieza's third form is going to be. And it's just a combi- combination of like every character in the in the show <laughs> up until that point, And it's hilarious. And that's no, my favorite character. You should find that still and post what, it on the story. This might be a weird question, but was there any was there ever any fallout between uh, the DBZ franchise and Alien for basically stealing the Xenomorph? uh design no everything steals everything steals the xenomorph <laughs> design like like if you look at warhammer there's the tyranids which look exactly like the xenomorphs from alien um there's a bunch so no it's but but that's a that's a good point good question 
Thank you. Thank you. I'm, this is why I love being on here, all the positive feedback I get. <laughs> well, we're going to have a little bit of negative feedback, though, because we're going to be talking about a game that I know you're not as big a fan of as the first and third one, and that's Budokai 2. Uh, and so, Jason, what are your memories of playing Budokai 2? Well, speaking of negative feedback, if you saw me on the Rugrats episode, then uh, this will <laughs> this will be very tame compared to that. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, I'll start. I'll start with the, the the slight good, and then go into the you know disappointing, and then probably bad. But uh, it the thing I found about the Budokai series, and two is no exception, is that I found I find that it's a very accessible fighting game that those that can't quite get the the, the hand of uh, you know Street Fighters and the more technical games, mm-hmm. you know, three quarter circle B versus you know whatever it is in in, in Budokai. It's uh, it's much easier to get into and much easier to, to spam playthroughs over and over when you're not as technically sound at, at the fighting games. Mm. The issue is that, my god, did they screw up this game. <laughs> First okay. of all, there's no story mode. Dragon World is terrible. It's For those who don't know, what they've done for their quote-unquote story mode is it's a board game-esque uh, story where you, you go down a path and you just end up fighting enemies. However, there is no piece of strategy at all to it, and you end up having to fight the same people over and over and over again before they finally die. Uh, so it, it's just it's just a shame, because I'm comparing Budokai 2 to Budokai 3, which I really, really love. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when Budokai 2 came out on the GameCube, Budokai 3 came out on PlayStation 2 already. Yes. Correct. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, we talked about that a little yeah. bit, but I, and we were, we were pretty angry about that mm-hmm. whole scheduling conflict, I guess. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, was a, I had both GameCube and PlayStation 2 uh, growing up. I, I was lucky, but uh, I, I had both Budokai 2 on GameCube and Budokai 3 on PlayStation, <laughs> and it's just <laughs> awful. Yeah, well, your parents must have been so confused with all of that. So is yeah. is the story mode a bit like then what's in... Have you played the new Smash Bros. game? It sounds a little bit like that, where your character is kind of on this board and you're going through areas to fight characters. It, it could be. Yeah. I, I haven't played... Oh. Uh... I haven't played story mode on the new Smash. I don't have a Switch, actually. I uh, pawn, <gasps> I pawn Switch plays off friends like uh, like Mike, mm. and <laughs> well, if if he hasn't shared it before, I am the uh, I am the dungeon solver for his Breath of the Wild play- playthrough uh, on Zelda. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> From what you're describing, the story mode sounds pretty similar, yeah. except. Yeah. A definitely similar it's that board game exactly what you're saying kind of like how you go from one place to the other and, and and it's a bit similar to to budokai one as we were talking about earlier but budokai one's story was actually really really good and as i said it was very ahead of its time because fighting games never had any kind of story right uh really it was just the versus mode and that was it so it was kind of a shame that budokai 2 went back a bit in terms of of um the breadth of the game itself and it was a like the budokai one was like a what if storyline too which would have been a neat thing to do with something like dragon ball z which has at this point now like it's been around for what 30 years i think uh it has such a vast almost like a comic book series where it is fun to go through like alternate realities and alternate histories just to kind Mm -hmm. of imagine what it would be like in in this timeline or in this timeline i think that'd be a really fun thing to explore in as like maybe to take budokai and just take it as the alternate history dragon ball z universe and they they definitely deviated away from it so soon i wonder why because it was really well it was well received the whole what if between vegeta cell and frieza timelines kind of splitting them up and uh, having different characters win that would have been really neat to uh to take 
all the Dragon Ball Z uh, time or fights and major turning points in the in the timeline and uh, switch them on their head. I think that's a really fun thing to do in video games in general. Comic books are, are notorious for doing it. I don't know why it kind of doesn't exist anywhere else, but in comic books, it's kind of strange. Mm-hmm. So with Dragon World being so terrible, you sort of lean on the uh, the versus mode, which. You know, for the most part, the combat's fine, it is, but a lot of the time a match is decided on who can button mash faster when you get in a power struggle, or who could who could luckily like be very lucky and click the right button to dodge something. I think Budokai 3 really improved on that. They also introduced uh, gameplay mechanics like you can expend key to do the uh, sort of instant transmission behind the opponent encounter. And that was that was super important because you just didn't have many defensive options in Budokai 2. Man, it's so hard because, I, like I said, I played 2 and 3 at the same time. Uh, and it was just, I put down 2 very quickly. <laughs> after of course, I saw because you had 3. And, and that, I think that's 2's actual biggest problem is not necessarily its gameplay and story and everything. But just the fact that for GameCube, it was released at the same time as 3 for PS2 and... Like it's you know it's mm-hmm. like you know you're gonna lose when that happens, and we said earlier on too that that the GameCube, uh, Budokai two sold absolutely terribly, and that was the biggest reason why three didn't come to the GameCube, uh, mm-hmm. later on. But uh, yeah, I, I I've played Budokai three. I actually only played Budokai three on um the PS three version of the uh the uh, HD the collection. Yeah, the HD yeah. collection mm-hmm. looks really good. Right. Um, yeah, it's really good, and I encourage anyone out there to pick it up. It's usually pretty cheap for PS3, but uh, 3 is definitely a smoother game overall. It feels like uh, a more refined version of uh, Budokai 1, and like you were saying, Jason, the defense mechanisms and like what you can do are a lot better in terms of guarding, uh, from what I remember as well. Ha- again, haven't played that since, I guess, like second year of college, but... Uh... <laughs> wow, I'll come over soon. I don't. Well, I don't even it have off. it. Harrison has it. Uh, of course, of course, Harrison would have it. <laughs> I did want to mention a couple of things about Dragon Ball uh, that we didn't mention uh, while Harrison was on. Uh, did you know that Dragon Ball is the fourteenth biggest media franchise in the world? No, that's what is it ahead of? It's actually right between Batman and Call of Duty. Wow, is it so? It's so Batman's ahead of it. Call of Duty's just behind it. That's right. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's wild is that yeah, is that it, from the list that we talked about uh last week where we were talking about pokemon and correct wow i didn't realize it was that high up that's yes yeah, so, so last week obviously we talked about pokemon digimon pokemon is number one on there uh for the biggest uh the highest grossing media franchise and th- that includes movies tv games yeah everything so, everything that, you can think of so I, I could see dragon ball being ahead of call of duty in that in that case then yeah, it's just it's it's just pretty crazy to to think that it's that high, but it makes sense uh, when you when you do think about it and think about the influence that it's had on all of our lives for sure. Yeah, I'm not I'm not super big into anime uh, usually, but you know, Dragon Ball was something I I really liked as a kid. It was always the one I watched. You know, over reboot over. Uh, some of the other stuff in the back to back. Where does I'm reboot rank rank on the list yeah. of highest selling franchises? <laughs> number three, the only, solid number. Yeah, three. The, the only reason I bring up reboot is because that was, I think, the second half of the back to back of the uh, cartoon or anime hour when I watched yeah. uh, DBZ. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. We also said Inuyasha and Naruto were also on um, right. in that like anime block that uh, whoever it was had. Like, I, I never got into those. I only got into uh, Avatar last year, right? Like, I was very mm-hmm. late to the party on it. Avatar's phenomenal. I know that's a side note, but, like, I just, it's so hard for me to 
decided to sit down and get into uh, anime. But I guess maybe it was all the flashy lights of Dragon Ball and all the yelling for five episodes at a time. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, just, there's my issue with anime is just that there's so much of it that like when you jump into a franchise now, you almost have to go in when it's new, or you really have to be ready to commit to hundreds of episodes of something. Like that's why I never got into one. That's not why, but it's like one of the reasons why whenever people over and over again told me that you know I should try check out One Piece, I was like, no, that's like. 10,000 hours I'm not going to do that but then when something like One Punch Man has one season and it's freaking hilarious I'm going to check that out and watch it three times so I love One Punch Man that's great that's One Punch Man is basically Dragon Ball Z not taking itself seriously and I love it (laughs) (laughs) I've seen a couple clips of One Piece on uh on YouTube just to see if I'd like it I have no idea what's happening the 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 fights are insane (laughs) don't understand anything I'm like how can anyone get into this <laughs> Lots of people have. Yeah, I guess the answer is don't watch random clips on YouTube and actually start from the beginning. <laughs> By the way, uh, we are doing this episode, uh, Jason, because it is the 32nd anniversary of Dragon Ball Z, I believe, uh, April 1989. Uh, someone can fact check that. <laughs> I don't think anyone will be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but but Neil and I wanted to do. Uh, we we like to put episodes out on a you know for anniversaries and and such so that is why we're doing the dragon ball z episode what was your favorite saga of the show well the cell cell saga is what that's that was what i grew up with i think right. and i think most people our age probably grew up with that that saga i'm i'm always a big majin buu fan too so. <laughs> you, you, you would be <laughs> my my favorite saga was actually the frieza saga uh i love the cell saga my only issue with it was that now younger people probably won't be able to uh relate to this but there was a time where we would watch these shows in syndication now dragon ball z at this point was a, a few hundred episodes long uh what 150 to 250 episodes i forget what the stat was and for some reason shows had this weird thing of syndicated shows and shows that you had to watch in order had this weird tradition of restarting for so, for no reason like you would watch it one night and cell was you know they were 75 percent of the way through the cell battle and then it would jump back to like the end of the frieza battle <laughs> i don't know why this would happen or what i was maybe i was doing something wrong or something was resetting i almost never saw the cell battle from start to finish and it made me so mad because the cell battle is really good and I think I've I've seen the first like ten episodes of that arc a hundred times or not a hundred times but like probably twice three times and I knew, <laughs> I saw it end maybe once so at that point I was just so frustrated with having to watch it and like going back every few weeks to be like oh here they are in the fight I can jump back in now and then like eventually <laughs> seeing it end it was super frustrating so I don't know if you guys remember that happening or not like it happened in Yu Gi Oh too and and Pokemon where Yu Gi Oh is actually where I remember it I remember that happening constantly yeah where they would be in like the uh... Uh, they'd be fighting like the Egyptian gods or whatever, and then it just like the next week would be them like on a beach somewhere. Yeah, or it's like what happened? Yeah, you can't do that with anime. Like someone needs to sit down with these uh, these broadcasters who are like deciding what shows to put on every night and be like, look, you can't do that. You have to put on the next episode, or else kids are <laughs> yeah. going to be upset yeah. and confused. Yeah. <laughs> As a kid, you have no frame of reference to know why that happens. Like you assume the show is just is, doesn't exist yet, so they have to go back to the beginning or something. But definitely, I love Frieza. I think that was a fun fight and a good ending too. So, yeah, yeah, I think the I think the Frieza saga is my favorite, but the Cell final battle is probably my favorite. Yeah, that's what I remember.
Well, Jason, thank you very much for coming on today. Is there anything else you'd like to say about this franchise before we let you go? Is, is there anything you have to say about ripped, naked, half-naked men uh, fighting <laughs> in in the fields with uh, with children under the age of nine before we let you go? Um, no, I think that pretty much says it all. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's exactly what everyone looks in an, looks for in an anime, right? and and characters <laughs> named after vegetables. Kakarot. Vegeta. Oh yeah, Kakara. Okay, I forgot about that. What? We, yeah, How did we... you not? Did you not remember? I don't know. I, I had a list of a <laughs> That's bunch the of one them. We I got, uh, and we had we had Krillin too, which I guess is Krill, like uh, not a vegetable. Yeah, not a vegetable. Uh, uh, Na- Nappa is cabbage. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Popo. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> All right. See you later, man. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you, Jason, for coming on and saying all those interesting facts and memories of, uh, of Dragon Ball uh, Z Budokai. Just every time someone else talks about it, it just kind of makes me relive my memories of, of playing that game. One thing we didn't say, actually, is Harrison owned the PS3 copy of um, the Budokai collection, and we played that a lot in, in, in college. So uh, that's kind of okay. how I got back into Budokai uh, after playing it uh, many years ago. Gotcha. I kind of want to check that out if I can find it at a store when those eventually reopen. I think that would be a fun thing to pick up. For, it's a good collection. Yeah, for the PS3. I mean, it's kind of weird that Budokai 2 is missing, but eh, whatever. I mean, if I can get two games for the price of one cheap PS3 game, I will take that. Yeah, my thoughts are one and three are the better games anyway, so you're not missing too much. Good enough for me. Mike, before we move on to other anime games, though, I think we need to cover one more Dragon Ball Z game real quick. What do you say? Let's do it. Let's talk about Dragon Ball Z Sagas. Let's do that indeed. Dragon Ball Z Sagas was released on March 22nd, 2005, so after Dragon Ball Z Budokai 3, which was noticeably missing from the the GameCube library, but I digress, was developed by Avalanche Software, published by Atari. It's also on Xbox and PlayStation 2. If you wanted to pick it up today, it's about $30, and we got a whopping 4 out of 10 for this game it's a bad game yeah it's a bad game it's a big (laughs) decline in quality from the budokai series clearly i guess nintendo just needed a dragon ball z game and this is what they got it feels like a knockoff version of dbz it's like Mm -hmm. it's like if someone leaves um like a show and then you see like the next season Mm. uh like the creator leaves the show the next season comes on and you're like something changed what what happened (laughs) they got a new creator yeah yeah, they got a new creator that has never seen the show before (laughs) it it, um it actually you know what it reminded me of i know they're very different games but it reminded me of the spyro series uh and, and how um when universal took over i guess for enter the dragon it became like a completely different game like it it didn't feel anything like that love that was put into it before it just felt like this harsh cold game with no imagination that's what dragon ball z sagas uh, feels like yeah it was marketed as a dragon ball z story sandbox adventure game which uh, we talk about all the time was huge in the 2000s the adventure every game had to have an adventure mode basically the open world of 2004 uh, but it ended up being just a linear beat-em-up and not a great one at that you you play as uh, you know the dragon ball z characters mainly goku from what i could tell from from gameplay but it just looked kind of very like you said just uninspired and cookie cutter e and not nearly as good in quality as the uh, the 2D fighters uh, from the Budokai series, which was too bad because actually looking at it, uh, looking at the Xbox library, this is the only Dragon Ball Z game on Xbox. Okay, I was going to say that because I noticed that all the Budokai ones were PlayStation and GameCube, but no Xbox. So this is the mm-hmm. only one for Xbox, eh? 
Yeah, yeah, they got screwed over with that. Um, <laughs> later on, the Xbox uh, Xbox consoles do get the Dragon Ball Z, you know, Dragon Ball Z, uh, Xenoverse and Fighter Z. I think those are all on Xbox now. Mm-hmm. So they eventually got the good games. But uh, for for Microsoft's first console, they didn't really get any uh, Dragon Ball Z games. DBZ was very much a PlayStation Two heavy franchise. Um, if you look at Dragon Ball Z games uh, based on console library, I think there's like eleven games on PS Two. So they got a lot of Dragon Ball Z games. Yeah, no, for sure. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, for this one, for the GameCube, made by Avalanche Software, uh, we've seen them a couple of times. They make a lot of THQ games, and it shows, Neil. It feels yeah. like a THQ kind of movie tie-in, cartoon tie-in uh, style game. Um, and I I do like the HUD. I think the HUD is very nice. I think it's very clean. I think the graphics look quite good, but it feels so clunky. Yes, that was one of the things that I I saw in terms of just negatives towards the game is unresponsive controls, weird animation, and the camera moves on its own, which in a 3D, basically a 3D platformer is almost never good. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, never good, never good at all. And it was a a massive commercial failure. We talked earlier about how Budokai 2 was a commercial failure for the GameCube. This was even more so. Uh, It was released quite late. You know, and was released when Budokai 3 had been released. So obviously people are going to pick up 3 instead of this game. Uh, And IGN, who is obviously famous for giving reviews that are very high, uh, even at this time in 2004, they were giving pretty high ratings to to bad games. They give this game a 4 out of 10. Uh, And they say, in the end, Dragon Ball Z Sagas fails in all departments. It's nowhere near as fun or functional as the Budokai games and completely fails in taking the series into a new direction. The lack of characters, sagas, and moves is what brings the game down. There's no reason why the very great Dragon Ball Z franchise should be taking a step backwards. Right. And that's very well said. I think that, uh, I guess, the Dragon Ball Z creators were trying to make another franchise, kind of like a spinoff to the Budokai games, where you would have your fighters, and then you can go off and play the adventure game, uh, sagas. But the game never got a sequel. Uh, Now, Dragon Ball Z is almost exclusively uh, a fighter franchise, a bit like Street Fighter. It... It, like like I said, it's at almost it's at a lot of the uh, the fighting game tournaments now with with Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, Smash Bros, and there's typically a Dragon Ball Z game too. So mm-hmm. the the fighting games are, are very good. They didn't have to divert their uh, their focus onto uh, an, an adventure game, which is why I guess they gave it to Avalanche Software, which was famously making not throwaway games, but they were making a lot of cartoon tie-ins at this time, which were doing okay, but uh, this one was not one of their better games. Again, I love that even Dragon Ball Z can't escape the adventure <laughs> adventure games of 2004-2005. You'd think it would translate well into an adventure game, but it uh, just didn't quite make it. Didn't quite make it. Well, no. I think that's all for the Dragon Ball Z franchise, and at the end of this episode, uh, Neil, we'll talk about where we kind of see Dragon Ball going in the future. Yep, that sounds good. But uh, we still have a few more games to cover now. Now we're going to transition to the other, the other fighters from this generation. <laughs> oh, geez. All right, let's uh, let's just start off here in random order. Um, let's go with One Piece Grand Battle, which was released on September seventh, two thousand five. It was released as Grand Battle Rush in Japan in March, uh, developed by Ganbarion, published by Bandai. It's also on PS2. Uh, if you wanted to pick it up today, it's around thirty dollars and rates about a seven out of ten. Uh, now, this is the fourth and final game in One Piece's Grand Battle series and the 19th One Piece video game released. Uh, One Piece Grand Adventure was released on August 29th, 2006, so a very late GameCube game. It was also developed by Ganbarion, published by Namco Bandai Games, now they're the Namba- Namco Bandai, mm-hmm. uh, platform also on PS2, uh, 
Price is around $60 today and rates a 6 out of 10, so a little bit worse than its predecessor, Grand Battle. Yeah, and I mean, so I, I watched gameplay of both these games, uh, you know, uh, disclaimer, like we said before, I've never played these games, games and I'm sure you haven't, Neil. No. <laughs> <laughs> and they they look a lot of, they look fun, the, especially the, the Grand Battle series actually looks a lot of fun for, especially for fans of the series. One Piece has always been a little weird for me. Uh, it's something that I like, I mean, I love pirate style things. I love like pirate metal music. I think it's such a, <laughs> such a cool <laughs> genre, but uh, it's, One Piece for me just gets, I just think of Dynasty Warriors, like the One Piece Dynasty Warrior games, which are actually pretty good. And makes sense for the, the art style and the characters, but for these kind of games, it's doesn't really do it for me. Me neither. And even the anime, I could never get into it. I think my cousin watched One Piece, and even uh, my friend Matt, I want to say Matt, watched One Piece as well. And uh, he always recommended it to me. But the fact that there were, again, I think it's One Piece that has like over 700 episodes now or something. Oh, it's yeah. just too big, <laughs> too big to get into now. Um, but I did find it really interesting that uh, Nam- Namco Bandai uh, published the the Grand Adventure game in 2006, and this must have been one of the first games that Bandai Namco had published because yeah. they were formed. They they uh, formed in March of two, of the same year, so only about five or six months later, this was one of the games they put out. And uh, so up until this point, really in this in this podcast, we've been talking about Namco and Bandai as two separate companies, but. Uh, after 2006, they were they were uh, Namco Bandai, hmm. uh, and later on they changed it. Now I think it's Bandai Namco, right? They they changed the order. I think so. Yeah, because like yeah. alphabetically, I guess. I don't know. It's all very confusing, but they still uh, develop and publish games on an annual basis. Like they, do they publish Dark Souls? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dark Souls, and they also do development for Smash Bros. Now too. Oh yeah, they're one of the biggest gaming companies in the world huge huge and they both got their start making toys very much like nintendo i love how many japanese uh game developers and publishers got their start making toys in like the 1900s like the early 1900s mm-hmm. i think namco was a toy company and bandai made like coin operated arcade entertainment things at amusement parks it's really funny <laughs> cool. how far they come to yeah to how far they come to multi-billion dollar video game companies but one piece is not one of those franchises that i ever really knew much about unfortunately yeah, that's okay i i mean so while uh doing some research for this uh grand battle actually sold very well uh at least four hundred thousand for the gamecube is what i uh, what i found so a very very good seller for the gamecube at that time especially being so late in the gamecube's life I guess four hundred thousand copies nowadays that would be a colossal failure. <laughs> yeah, but for this, for kind of not a throwaway game per se, but like um, you know, an annualized franchise almost to get four hundred thousand in a, a late stage cycle for the GameCube of all places, uh, that's yeah, that's pretty cool. And are, are these 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 aren't exclusives at all now? This was just completely under my radar uh, at this point. Like I knew about Dragon Ball, obviously, and Inuyasha, and and some of the other lesser known animes that weren't Pokemon or Digimon or Yu-Gi-Oh, um, but still to get 20 video games. And I think One Piece still does get video games even today. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I see it on the Switch shop. So, like, still has a following. It has and, a huge uh, following, yeah. Yeah, so good for them. Uh, keep up the good work, but I don't think I'll be checking out either of these games anytime soon. Me neither, but if you do want to check out these games and want to learn more about them, we actually have a much better podcast for One Piece-related info. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, but might as well let people know what, what a good podcast would be to check, to check out uh, One Piece, Mike. What, what would that be? 
it's the One Piece podcast. It's got a tremendous wealth of knowledge for all things One Piece, uh, and they have a lot of great episodes about the anime, as well as the video games. Uh, I think they have like almost 400 episodes now or, or so, just as much as the uh, as the, the anime. So check them out. We'll post uh, the episode in our story uh, this week. Sweet. No, that's awesome. Uh, I'm glad to hear that every it's almost like everything has a dedicated podcast now, so that's terrific. Even the GameCube. Even the GameCube. Who, who, would, definitely, who would ever do that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either. All right, let's move on to the next franchise here, which is Zatch Bell Momodo Ma- Mamodo Battles, which was released on October 19th, 2005, developed by 18, published by Bandai, because they weren't Bandai Namco yet. Also on PlayStation 2, this game is about $60 today, but if you wanted to pick it up sealed, I found a sealed copy on eBay. It's around $350. This game rates about a 5 out of 10, and we also had Zatch Bell Mamoto Fury, which was released on December 12th, 2006. Uh, this game was developed by Mechanic Arms, and it was published by Bandai Namco, uh, platform on also on PS2. Uh, this game prices around $120 to $300 or more, and it rates a 4 out of 10. So please, please, please do not buy this game for $300. <laughs> I was looking at stats for this game um, to get ready, obviously, and the price for Fury has gone up an insane amount. It, it was it was only going for about uh, thirty to forty dollars complete in box until later until late twenty twenty, and it's really? just skyrocketed. Yeah, so if you can, I, honestly, I would think about picking up uh, Battles because I think it's going to keep going up uh, with uh, Fury being so high. So, no, for sure, and. I know nothing about, I know even less about this franchise than One Piece, dude. Like, nobody talks to me about uh, Zatch Bell. Like, no one's ever asked I've me to watch I've never heard it. of Zatch Bell before this this podcast. I'm just going to be completely honest. No, I had to look up, like, just a little bit about the story and just what this, what this thing is even about. So, a little bit of a lesson for you, I guess. Mamoto uh, translates to demons or also goblins. Uh, they're a race of magical creatures from another world called the Mamoto world, also known as the demon world. Um, so that, that's kind of, that exactly the shadow realm. And, uh, the, the gist of the story is that there's a tournament held every 1000 years to decide the, uh, Mamoto King. I know I'm definitely saying that wrong. I'm going to get corrected by somebody. Um, and there's 100 uh, contestants chosen by the, uh, Mamoto school principal, uh, and the current King of the Mamoto world. Um, they're sent to the human world, uh, with their spell books to, I guess, fight to find out who the, uh, who the Mamoto King shall be. So it's every 1,000 years, and uh, I guess, uh, luckily, the GameCube was around uh, during that 1,000 <laughs> years, and that's how we got to a couple games based on it. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there seems to actually be a lot of cutscenes in this, way more than some of the other games, watching some of the gameplay of it. Uh, and the fighting style for either one, either of these games is uh, it's not as good as the Budokai fighting style, or even the One Piece fighting style is actually pretty good too, because it's much more 3D. Like for One Piece, you could actually fight in a pirate ship and like walk or jump around uh, in there, where this feels very much just on a on a flat plane, and you're not really doing a lot other than you're trying to get your finishers. But uh, right, yeah, unfortunately, I can't talk a lot about these games or this franchise. Uh, but Neil, I know where you can find more about this franchise. Okay. Uh, where uh, where, where can uh, the folks out there, if they're itching to hear more about Zatch Bell, where, where can they go, Mike? They can check out You Activated My Podcast, uh, which is a great name for a podcast. I love that so much. You Activated My Trap Card. 
<laughs> they mostly talk about Yu-Gi-Oh, obviously, which Neil and I love, but they also go out of their comfort zone and talk about Zatch Bell, which does feel very Yu-Gi-Oh-esque uh, now that I think about it. Uh, on their episode, uh, you activated my uh, Mamoto. <laughs> hmm. Okay. So it's not necessarily about the games all the time, but it's pretty hilarious. Uh, pretty hilarious. Definitely check them out. We will post the episode in our story this week. Beautiful. And before we move on to our last franchise of the day, I also want to give a shout out to the Zatch Bell Mamoto Fury Wikipedia page. Now, not the oh yes, <laughs> oh the Wikipedia page is terrific. So it gives it, it gives comparisons between the U.S. version and the Japanese version of the game, as well as the GameCube and the PS2 version of the game. Like, it breaks it down so granularly that I've never seen. Wow. Uh, now, truth be told, I get a lot of the information for the show from Wikipedia, like because that, that's the greatest source of information of our time. <laughs> and I, I'd never seen a Wikipedia page for a, frankly, a very Japanese-heavy video game. Like, it's an an, based on an anime. It's an anime fighting game. It's a very niche audience. And just to see that the level of detail of differences between the U.S. and the Japanese version and then the GameCube and the PS2 version was very refreshing. And uh, it kind of made it easier for me to find a little bit more about this game that I probably wouldn't have been able to if I had to sift through the U.S. and the Japanese game and the GameCube and the PS2 game information all kind of combined into one. So, Damn. Yeah. Usually, uh, Neil and I have come across a lot of games where uh the, there is no wikipedia page for it or the wikipedia page just has release date publisher and developer and that's it and then references and there's no references there either <laughs> references <laughs> all right let's move on to the last franchise of the day which is naruto clash of the ninja which was released on march 7th 2006 developed by Ating, published by d3 tommy and namco bandai so quite a few publishers here it's also on wii uh, so I think that this is actually one of the first games that we've covered that's a both GameCube and Wii exclusive. I think so. Interesting. Well, I mean, it's a late 2006 GameCube game. Or, sorry, early 2006, but a late GameCube game nonetheless. Uh, this game uh, prices around $10 today on GameCube, and it rates around a 7 out of 10. And it was followed very closely by Naruto Clash of the Ninja 2, which was released on September 26, 2006. Uh, it's developed by Aiting and Tommy again. Published by Nintendo, D3, and Tommy. This is a GameCube exclusive, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, weird. Yeah, very. And it prices around $40 today and rates about a 7 out of 10. Now, Mike, before we get started, I have to ask you, do you pronounce it Naruto or Naruto? Naruto. Naruto. I think that's right, too. But I was thinking about this in the shower while I was getting ready for the podcast. <laughs> Just, yeah, we got to cover the Naruto games. And I was like, wait, is it Naruto? Oh, no. Naruto, yeah. Naruto yeah. sounds like you're, like, saying Mario, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> sounds, sounds like a Midwestern, like, housewife like saying... A, like a Boston, <laughs> like a Bostonite saying, man, we're gonna get the Mario game. The Marios. <laughs> Pat, you want some tacos? Oh, God. Tacos. Please stop it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is... Uh, Clash of the Ninja was the first Naruto video game. So this is kind of where the franchise got its start in the gaming industry. And it seemed to come out uh, to somewhat good... Uh, good reception, uh, praised for being a very well-balanced, uh, quick, and a lot of fun. Uh, that's from IGN. Um, they said the audio is very strong, which I guess is a good thing. But uh, there's a total of 11 Naruto games, and they all came out between 2006 and 2010. <laughs> that was the, that was peak time for Naruto, for sure. <laughs> Apparently, but they saturated the market. Like, just 11 games in five years? Well, I mean, speaking of saturation, uh, now that we're on the last two games of this episode, uh, I can say that in basically a year, we had One Piece, Zatch Bell, Naruto, One Piece, Naruto, Zatch Bell again, uh, all come out. 
so we had seven six games uh six anime fighting games that all came out within a year that's pretty crazy sorry i gotta correct myself there not naruto games but the clash of the ninja series so there are still mm. there's still naruto games coming out to this day but the Cl- clash of the ninja series specifically uh not all released in north america some were japan only some were north american only and gamecube and wii exclusives so but still like did anybody buy all of these games? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, looking at and watching gameplay of, of Clash of Ninja, it, it looks like a good game mm-hmm. and is quite well done. I know friend of the show, Zaffer, has played this game. And so if he's listening to this podcast, he's going to be like, oh, guys, I have so much to say. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Zaffer. But you know, don't worry. Zaffer's going to be on next week. Uh, we'll find out later. But um, <laughs> uh, for, for Clash of Ninja, the graphics look great and look like a Naruto, like what I would expect a Naruto game to look like. Uh, the it's they make use of cell shading really nicely. The animation is very smooth, and I know this is a later game, so the graphics have developed quite a bit. But uh, I was I was pretty impressed with uh, with the actual gameplay of it. Yeah, I mean it does look good. You're right. I don't know if it's something that I would recommend picking up now. And again, Naruto is another one of those animes that completely slipped out of my my radar. I didn't watch it at all. And Mike, I don't think you did either. No. I just feel like that this franchise in particular, they didn't have any sort of plan other than to just make them as quickly as possible. Like, apparently the Clash of the Ninja 1 was announced at the same time as Clash of the Ninja 2. <laughs> yeah, that seems right. Like at the that e- seems right. Very strange. Like, at the E3 or whatever it was, they were both announced at the same time. And then later in 2006, Clash of the Ninja 2, I think this might have been in America only, but it was released in a combo pack with the Twilight Princess. Yes, which is a very expensive thing to find nowadays. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I didn't know about that. Yeah, I guess if you can find that for collectors, that would be sweet. But again, just random, random thing to, to just come out and then go away so quickly. I want to talk quickly about the fact that Ninja 2 is a GameCube exclusive. Why do you think that was, Neil? Like, why wasn't it on Wii? I don't... I. I honestly do not know. So Clash of the Ninja 1 and 2 both came out in North America on GameCube. One of them was on Wii. But Clash of the Ninja 2, I believe, was the last North American Clash of the Ninja game. So I think it did come out on Wii, but it was the Japanese version. Like, the Japanese version would have had its own copy on Wii only uh, and didn't come out in North America. So after Clash of the Ninja 2, they didn't want to do it in North America on Wii, so they just moved it to... Japan at that point. I see. So I think that's why it's a, it's a GameCube exclusive. Why they got far enough into development, I'm assuming it's because they announced both games at the same time. So they were probably developing both games early on, and they figured, well, it's done for GameCube. We might as well just put it out now uh, and, and move the franchise over to Japan now and, and make that a, a Wii exclusive because I don't think Clash of the Ninja 2 was released in Japan on GameCube. I think it might have just been North America only. I wonder if this is the last GameCube exclusive. Oh, good question. September twenty sixth, two thousand six. Yeah, I, I, I can, I can find out. <laughs> okay, why don't you look that up right now? And we will, we, with the magic of editing, we'll cut to when you get the answer. Uh, and so I think that Naruto Clash of Ninja. Two is the last GameCube exclusive that came out for the console. We might as well just go with that because, I mean, was anybody buying GameCube games in 2006 at this point? Twilight Princess was out. Consoles traditionally don't go out with a huge with huge fanfare. So I guess it makes sense to have Clash of the Ninja 2 be the last exclusive. And since it was released September 26th, it is the last exclusive. And uh, one game that is actually quite bigger almost beat it. 
uh, being released this September 25th. So we can make the show better. If you want to support the show, you can find us on Patreon. We are The GameCube Was Cool. Follow us on Instagram. We are at The GameCube Pod. Share us with your friends and family Mm -hmm. so we can find a bigger audience. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. Censorship uh, seems to be found a lot in both these games um, with some of the voice (laughs) acting. Uh, There's a lot of lines of dialogue that were found in the anime that were altered in the translation for more of a younger audience, I guess. Mm, Okay. Uh, Such as the words kill and death are replaced by destroy or defeat. Oh, okay. Which is interesting. And it's it's funny they did that despite the fact that Clash of Ninja 2 has a teen rating in the States. So they could have easily just done kill or death but they chose not to i was gonna say what's it rated and yeah it is a t for teen i guess just for violence cartoon violence yeah. and whatnot i think they could have kept in that dialogue i like there's they're straight up an anime character with like a knife on the front of the cover <laughs> so i don't know that's interesting it's kind of like how in pokemon games you know everybody faints nobody dies so it's all very very safe for kids even though it's rated t for teen they might as well have just made it e for everyone like i don't know yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. Yeah. Just the game itself and everything, as we said, is a bit of a weird one. Mike, are there any podcasts out there that uh, the fans can check out uh, if they're interested in more Naruto love? Yes, there is. There's a great one, actually, called The Game Rubes. <laughs> kind of like The Game Cubes. Uh, uh, episode, they have an episode uh, called Naruto Clash of Ninja 1 and 2 slash Dragon Ball Z Budokai 1 and 2. Oh, wow. Uh, as well as Dragon Ball Z Sagas. So they basically <laughs> did what we just did in this episode, but they uh, delve into it a little bit more than we did. So please check out their podcast and their episode uh, to do Clash of Ninja a bit more justice. Uh, we will post uh, their episode in our story this week. Sweet. Now we can uh, transition to the closing thoughts of the show. Uh, what, where do you see anime fighting games, I guess, going forward, or Dragon Ball fighting games on Nintendo hardware? Let's go with that. Because, you know, in the last few years, Dragon Ball fighting games have been very heavily sa- sold on PlayStation and Xbox hardware. Uh, I feel like Nintendo kind of gets forgotten a little bit, and it seems like that they were from the start. Uh, do you <laughs> think that we'll ever see you know major Dragon Ball Z games come out on Switch again and be competitive with PlayStation 4 and Xbox and all that? It's hard to tell because, I mean, we do have Dragon Ball Fighter Z for the Switch currently, which is great. It came out in 2018, I believe, and it's a really fun game, and I would definitely recommend it. But... I don't I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really sure uh, where that franchise goes on Switch uh, per se or just on Nintendo hardware. It, it is such a, a lasting franchise and lasting memory for so many people that I think Dragon Ball Z games will continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always going to have a big fan base and especially the fighting games are, are, are very much, you know, in that fighting community. I think Budokai will probably be probably be on us on the Switch at some point. That would be my prediction. I, I could see them putting the collection on there eventually but i know that there is a lot of animosity between nintendo and and the publishers of the, of these games and just dragon ball in general so i don't mm. know neil it's uh, i'm sorry to leave you with a <laughs> open-ended question there but i i i genuinely don't know what's going to happen with dragon ball and nintendo hardware no that that's totally fine i really did forget that xenoverse is on switch like that's how much it's come and gone uh, and it's just out of my out of my wheelhouse in terms of the, the, the video games that i want to play but you're right. I mean, like, it does still come out to Nintendo hardware. I guess I should correct myself there. It would be really cool, though, to see the Budokai trilogy, or sorry, the Budokai collection come out on Switch again. I think we have a good chance of seeing that. I mean, the Switch is getting that uh, seventh generation of uh, games being re released for them on a fairly regular basis, and the Switch can definitely run them. I think Bandai Namco have a pretty good relationship with Nintendo in 2021 compared to what they did in the early to mid 2000s. Like, we'll probably start to see more 
Dragon Ball games come to Switch in the future, or whatever Nintendo's hardware is. But I, I think it will just be a regular, once a year, once every two years, um, um, thing that comes out on on consoles in general, not just Nintendo. Yep, I would agree. I would agree with that. 100%. But Mike, if you had to pick between the GameCube games that we talked about today, uh, would you suggest the, the listeners pick up any of these nine titles? I would suggest they pick up Budokai. I was a little surprised to see that it only had seven out of ten. In my mind, it was regarded as this, you know, beacon of fighting games from that era. Uh, and I guess it, it hasn't aged amazingly because there are better Dragon Ball Z fighter, fighters out there today. But I think Budokai in general, just such a, a fun experience with a really good story mode that you hadn't seen beforehand. So I would definitely recommend to pick it up because it's pretty cheap as well. Yeah, for for a GameCube game, it is it is very cheap. I, I would probably say the same thing. Obviously, we, we covered... Dragon Ball Z for the majority of this episode, so it was going to be one of the titles that we recommend picking up. I might try and pick up the PlayStation 3, uh, the, the collection of Budokai 1 mm-hmm. and 3 if I had to pick. And then for a GameCube copy, I might as well at that point pick up Budokai 2 since it's not in that collection. So that way I'd have all three. Good point. Good point. Yeah. But Mike, what can the listeners expect to hear next week on the GameCube Was Cool podcast? Next week on the GameCube with School podcast, we are talking about Kirby Air Ride, Ooh. which is our first Kirby entry and only Kirby entry on the GameCube. There's a lot of lore, per se, that went on around making this game before and after. Very contentious topic um, amongst the Nintendo developers at the time of what to do with Kirby on the GameCube. And Neil and I are really excited to delve into that and to that history. And we're also going to be having a couple of guests on, specifically one guest, Jake, who will be talking about his infamous uh, fight with his brother (laughs) over Kirby Air Ride. (laughs) Sweet. That'll be a lot of fun. Kirby on console is kind of like Kirby, uh, or is, is kind of like Pokemon on console as well, where the console Kirby games are so different from the handheld Kirby games, where in this generation, Kirby was pretty big on Game Boy Advance and then really big on DS. Kirby games were, were very popular on the DS. Yeah. And we only had one Kirby game on the GameCube, and it's not a traditional Kirby game. It's more of a racing, it's a racing game. game. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, so... It, wasn't was not a platforming Kirby game, which are still huge to this day. This is again what we love about the GameCube. Just a complete change in direction for a franchise that they've never gone back to. There's no Air Ride 2. It's <laughs> it's just Air Ride 1. It was, you know, only on GameCube and you can play it on Wii, I suppose. It's gonna be a ton of fun to talk about it. I'm looking forward to it. I own this game, so I'll be playing it a bunch this week to prepare. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, can't wait. Can't wait, but until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 47 of the GameCube School podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us ratings and reviews so we can make the show better. If you want to support the show, you can find us on Patreon. We are The GameCube Was Cool. Follow us on Instagram. We are at The GameCube Pod. Share us with your friends and family so we can find a bigger audience. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. Kamehameha! Virginia! Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. Game.